Logical Progression, Year 1, Lesson 6. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yamidjina Allahumma la sahla ila ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajla al-hazna idha shayt sahla Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik ya rabbil alameen Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah So um, we started the book of purification and we started with the subsection of impurity and it was like an introduction to, to, to purity I guess and um, actually it could have been a bit clearer and I realized when I was reading back through the transcribed notes which have been updated by the way those who are on the forums I updated them today just now actually a couple of hours ago so make sure you go back and revisit them if you're like copying them and pasting them into your own I don't know word or whatever um, a reminder to everyone that um, when I get time, I do go back and if I see something which I feel sh- uh, was something I said wrong. So you've got to understand that there's two parts, isn't it? There's the transcription, which is a team led by Sister Widad, and they're basically just writing everything word for word. Okay? And that's for the benefit of all students and then even more so for those that weren't able to make it or missed a video in the five-day boundary. Um, and also... They set it up for the next team, which is also headed up by Sister Widad and Samira. And what they, what they both do is that they create the official set of study notes, the proper notes. It's not a transcription, it's proper, official, correct, transliterated with the Arabic, spaced out, like I would be happy with it. Now that is a much, much more detailed, longer process. In the next couple of weeks, you'll receive all four lessons of the introduction. Does that make sense? You're like weeks behind on that. The transcription, you're like three, four days behind on. So I want you to understand that what you will be studying from will be the study notes. What you are using to keep going and to keep you know in check is the transcription. And the transcription, of course, is raw. It's live, yes? It's, oh, we're doing this live. We're not editing it. And then those notes are being prepared live. And so I will say things wrong or make mistakes or I look back and say that that could be said better. So I will go back when I get a chance. And I don't always get a chance, but I did go back today and I did re-edit something. And that thing that I edited was um, specifically was in the section when we were talking about um, trying to understand what a hadith is, um, ritual impurity. I went into uh, describing um, to redefining tahara itself, purification itself. And I quoted something from Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shanqiti, and I wanted to repeat that again in the Arabic and the correct understanding, because I actually translated it in the section of hadith, and some people, I, I got the feedback, understood that I gave them a description of a hadith. I wasn't. I was actually trying to define tahara according to some of the scholars. And that definition is... Um, as, 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 as follows صِفَةٌ حُكْمِيَّةٌ تِجِبُ لِمَوْصُوفِهَا جَوَازِ اِسْتِبَاحِكِ السَّلَابِهِ أَوْ فِيهِ أَوْ لَهُ Meaning, meaning, to the, to the nearest meaning of that purification is that characteristic, alright, that characteristic um, that establishes in the one that it is found in that establishes in the one that it is found in, and by the way, this d- d- definition is on the forums, okay? I've written it in. That establishes in the one that it is found in the permissibility of the prayer, 
be it with respect to the person's body or what he or she is in, what they're wearing, and or where they're praying. So the three kind of aspects to purification when it's found in the one who's described as being pure or it being pure. And that's why he said mausulf, it didn't say a person, because I might describe my thawb to be pure, and I might describe myself to be pure, and I might describe the area that I pray to be pure. These are the three aspects of purity when it comes to prayer, right? These have to be clean and pure. So, myself, myself. I can't have any najasa physical on my body. Like if I had some feces, for example, on my hand, I can't pray because it's on my hand. So let's get rid of that. Okay, one thing done. That's bihi in the Arabic. And then awfihi, meaning that if my thobe has some urine on it, I cannot pray in that thobe. So my thobe is not pure. And then let me now clean my thobe. And now I come to an area, like in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where the Bedouin came and then he urinated in the masjid. I can't pray in this area of the masjid because there's urine on the floor. So purification is then described in this way, that you get you you uh, you are pure when you are able to pray in these three aspects it is a characteristic that is found in what you're wearing in where you're praying and in the person themselves and that characteristic is not as i said and i and i went to great lengths to try and explain last week is not something you can see with the eye that's why the word hukmiya is used by hukam, by ruling, not a sifatun nadariyatun or sifatun zahiriya, not a characteristic which can be seen or a characteristic which is easily understood. It's a characteristic which is done by ruling. What do I mean by that? A person, a person, um, could go and you know dive, uh, 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 I don't know, into water and and do whatever flash, flash, splash about and whatever and clean themselves but they had no intention for wudu so they come out absolutely spanking clean but they're not pure because they did not intend wudu does that make sense? so therefore when we say sifatun hukmiyatun it's almost like it's a ritual characteristic or a spiritual characteristic or a characteristic which cannot necessarily be seen by the eyes it's there it's been achieved by you making the intention it's been achieved by you doing the act of worship is that clear? so that's a definition which I found was a very comprehensive very detailed compre- uh, uh, definition for purity, for purification. Anyway, anyway, so let's jump straight into the text. And I know where we got to because I, um, we, we have got to the end of وَمَا فِي مَعْنَى which is the, uh, the bottom of page 26. And from the first line, Pastor, uh, from the first line of the translation, it would correspond to purification is lifting ritual impurity or matters similar to it. That's what we've done. And now we're going to do and removing filth. Right? That's what we're going to do now. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah? And I know that there was a bit of confusion about what it meant. Again, in 30 seconds, let me just say that when you um, hadith, all right, ritual impurity, how many types? How many types? Two types. First type is a small impurity, all right? And the second is the, uh, the, the major impurity, right? The major impurity, for example, menstruation, sexual impurity, uh, post, uh, postnatal, very good, yeah? 
And then the minor is everything that you know uh, you're, uh, after urine, after defecating, after going to sleep, after a huge amount of blood loss, etc., etc. The first one requires wudu, the second one requires ghusl. These are ritual impurities. These are rulings that are applied to a person. Like a person, for example, I mean, I gave many examples yesterday, but just so that I know that everyone is, is comfortable with it. Like a person suffering from menstruation, right? Nowadays, it's not like the old days. In old days, there's no such things as tampons and, and sanitary pads and things like that. So it was a messy business, right? It was really a messy affair. Nowadays, with the kind of hygiene and technology and all this, whatever, and the whole industry, it's not a messy business. And that's why, for example, um, and you are now mature, uh, um, and you need to be acting mature when you study uh, uh, fiqh, and when you're looking at issues, we're going to come to a matter later, which is the issue of the entering of the masjid of the one who is menstruating. Is that allowed or not? And you'll note that um, the majority of scholars say no. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this, but my problem about talking about this now is that it'll give you the idea that, oh, we're covering this subject right now, so now I have to have all my questions answered on this issue. I need to, give you, uh, I need to reiterate something. That... Um, when I use an example to explain a point, I will make it clear that that example that I'm talking about, I'm now discussing that properly as a text studied. If I'm not, be uh, uh, happy and be content, I will come back to that in its right place. So last week we talked about incontinence and urinary incontinence and we talked about... Um, the seated positions and going sleep while seated. I was mentioning by way of an example to clarify a point and it opened the floodgates and people wanted to know all about them, right? No, it's not the time for that. As I said, we did two pages yesterday, uh, last week, two pages. In fact, we didn't even do two pages, we did one and a half pages, right? There's over 350 pages on purification. So just that you get an idea of what is left. There's a mountain left, okay? And we will deal with all these matters in its right time. And the matter of um, the menstruating woman will be covered in detail. We'll spend a good, you know, maybe a whole session on it. The point that I wanted to bring up to you now, just the relevance is the issue with the one person looking supremely clean, is that there was very much, in my opinion, this is a controversial statement to some people, but the majority of scholars did consider the if impermissible for a woman who's menstruating to enter the masjid. There's no doubt in my mind, this is a controversial statement, I haven't heard anyone say it, but there's no doubt in my mind that one thing which really influenced them was the, the, the threat of the masjid being soiled. Okay? Of course, the original ruling is based upon hadith. It's not that they just said, oh, you know, there's a risk of soiling. No, it is based upon hadith. It's based upon fiqh, usul, solid principles. But one of their kind of additional reasonings is that there's a threat to the masjid and the purity of the masjid. Now, I say that, well, today, nowadays, this does require a, a relook at that uh, issue and that fiqh ruling. Not just because, oh, we have tampons and we're able to really, really e eliminate that problem, and that risk is now virtually minimal, but also uh, I, I'm, the reason that kind of new reality would motivate me to restudy the issue. Not for me to say, ah, we have to reject the ruling because we have to reject the, the, the way that the scholars said prohibition because now we have the answer. No, I can't be that blasé because obviously they didn't base their ruling on, upon the swelling of the masjid. They based it upon hadith, based it upon evidences, based it upon principles. Does that make sense? But I now have a reason that maybe I should go back and study this again and see, is it possible that we can look at this, this ruling? Isn't actually the case. 
And it just so matters that, in my opinion, I do believe that it is permissible for a menstruating woman to attend the masjid based upon two conditions. One, that she does not take the place of a woman who has the right to be there. What do I mean by that? I mean a woman who is pure and clean and not on her menses and she's come there to pray, for example. And she might not be, and a woman like that might come in the door and the masjid is completely full of, you know, a number of menstruating women who are there because they're attending a lesson or they're attending a, a, a Quran lesson or whatever. And they don't, they, want to, they don't want to miss out And I believe that, that those women need to leave And allow the woman to come in and pray Who is, has the right to be there That's the first condition And the second condition is that very point That there can never be a risk of soiling the masjid All right? And this is based upon us considering the hadith Not to be so authentic that pro- prohibit And, 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 and So I just want to just uh, again re-emphasize re- That this is fiqh It changes, you've got to be mature about it um, and we can discuss so many issues and so on in the issue of in the a- aspects of purification. But I do want to say that it illustrates that a woman might be supremely pure, clean. She might have showered and she might have, you know, smelling beautiful and everything super, super clean. But she's menstruating and she might be menstruating very, very lightly, meaning that there's been no bleeding, clear bleeding even for a, ho- a whole day. But she's not pure. And she's not pure because the ruling of menstruation is still uh, applicable to her. So that's why we say hadith is not linked to cleanliness or clean skin or clean smell or lots of water or being very wet. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's an actual ruling. It's a characteristic which goes when the problem goes. Is that clear everybody? Everyone happy with that? Okay. So once we understand that as hadith, you understand that when you purify yourself and you lift the irtifa of the hadith lifting the state of ritual impurity and that which is similar to it what did we say was similar to it those times when you do have a ghusl or wudu but it's not for lifting hadith okay that's what that means so when you want to do the salah there's a hadith that we mentioned I don't know if I mentioned it last week in Sahih Muslim the Prophet the companions they had some lamb um, lamb yani, uh, or sheep or whatever ghanam and they had some lamb, and they asked the Prophet ﷺ, should we make wudu, alright, after this lamb? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yani in shit, yani if you want, then do it, but in shit, then don't make wudu. Meaning he gave them the option. So what's interesting here, is that by giving the companions the option, the hadith is authentic in Sahih Muslim, by giving them the option, it makes it clear that their current state of wudu has not been broken. So they're not in a state of hadith. And by telling them to make the wudu again if they want to, is also a proof that it is not lifting a state of hadith because they already have that, they're not in hadith. Yes? Does that make sense? So that second wudu, what are we going to call it? We are going to call it wudu, aren't we? We're not going to say it's not a real wudu, no it is. Are we not going to call it purification? No, yes we are, we are going to call it purification. But are we going to say this is the purification which lifts a state of hadith? We say no. This is not a, a, one of those types. That's why we have these two subcategories in the lifting of, of uh, uh, under definition of purification. Is that clear, everybody? So that's what we got to last week. So let's move on then. We are now um, in Wazawal uh, al-Khabath. Now, right at the bottom of the page, of Sheikh Uthameen's uh, uh, page, he says, he didn't say the author, وَإِزَالَةُ الْخَبَثِ He said, Zawal al-Khabath. Now, izala and zawal are from the same Arabic root verb of zala, to remove or to disappear or to go. Except the difference is that izala is an action that requires a person. 
Alright? It requires an input. So I have to do that. Okay? And so that's why سَوَاءٌ ذَالِبِ نَفْسِهِ أَوْ ذَالِبِ مَزِيلٍ آخِرٍ Meaning that the um, that when we use the word zawal, then that when we use the zawal as in the word which has been used by our author and translated, what do we translate it as exactly? The the remove and removing filth. You see, maybe we need to reword that. Okay? Because removing, do you agree in English that I suggest a person is doing it? Yeah? And I think it should be removal of. Would you agree that the word removal of, um, so let me give you an example. If there's an area where there is urine and then it rains, is it become pure or not? Did you do anything? But it became pure. So this has had the zawal al-khabath. Alright? Alcohol, for those scholars who said that it is impure. When you leave it, alright, for those who said it's impure, and it's not impure in my opinion, okay? But we'll come to that in its right time. But for those who consider alcohol to be physically impure, najis, what happens if you leave it? What's the process? Oxidation. When oxidation occurs to alcohol, what happens? Turns into vinegar. Is vinegar pure? It is. There's been no scholar ever in history that has ever considered vinegar to be pure. What happened there? What happened? So what happened there? There was a change of state from impure to pure. Did you get involved? No. I mean, at the detailed level, uh, uh, and, and this, is, this is like to make it a bit more complicated, right? You know, uh, I, I don't want to discuss this now, it will come later, but just so that you see that there is an issue of involvement or lack of involvement. If I literally had a bottle of, I had some dates at home, and uh, those dates now, they've been in the fridge for a while. They're the, they're rotter, fresh dates. And they got pushed to the back, and I opened up the, 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 the thingy yeah, uh, two days ago, took one whiff, oof, nearly got drunk, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was like proper reeking, and it was proper alcohol smell. And that's what happens, I left it by itself. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, is that if I was to uh, have a cup of alcohol and just left it by itself, not intending anything, not adding anything, because of course vinegar, the creation of vinegar, or the making, manufacture of vinegar, is an art. And you can make it strong and like this, and you can add flavoring and blah blah and you can accelerate the process. Now, if you're getting involved, that, that vinegar and the buying and the selling of that vinegar, the ruling will differ to that, you see? If a Muslim is involved in that, because, hold on, why did you go and buy the alcohol in the first place? Is it allowed for someone just to go buy alcohol just to create vinegar? And the answer to that is no. And uh, Sayyidina Umar, he would allow the purchase and the use of, uh, of vinegar, which was done by others, by Christians, for example. And vinegar, of course, has been praised by the Prophet ﷺ and the companions used to have it all the time. Very simple uh, people, very simple way they would eat. They'd literally use it like a, like a salan, yani, you know? That's how... Yani, you know, uh, rough it was at that time. You know, like a curry almost. I mean, it's a condiment, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was literally being used to soak bread in, right? So it was widely available. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that certainly, certain uh, uh, impurity can change to pure things by itself without you being involved. That's why izala is not used, because the word izala means you have removed the khabath. But we don't want to say that. We want to define a word called purification. Is the meaning of purification you removing the, the impurity? Answer, no. It is the removal of impurity. Whether that happens by you or whether that happens by someone else. 
The next thing, al-khabath. What is khabath? Khabath is actually not a very common word to use in Arabic language, okay? The most common word is najasa, okay? Khabath means najasa. Is Urdu najasa? Does it have? Najasa, isn't it? We know khabath, yani, khabis, khabis logye, yeah, khabis kabanda, whatever, you know? Disgusting. Huh? Is it? No? Patan? Oh, sorry, what's his name? Urdu then? What is it in Urdu? Same, it's same, yeah? So, khabis, yani, filthy, yeah? It doesn't mean anything worse than that, does it? Yeah, like scum or something like that, I think, maybe. So, uh, but uh, najasa is the word that we all uh, know and understand. Uh, filth, uh, rubbish, um, I don't know, whatever. But you understand what I'm trying to say. So, what actually shara'an though? What is the actual, ling- uh, uh, the technical meaning of najasa? It's very interesting, even um, uh, 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 Sheikh. Um, when I say Sheikh, I'm, I'm referring to Sheikh Uthaymin, just to save time, okay? I mean Sheikh Uthaymin, rah- uh, rahmatullah alayhi. When I say Sheikh Ashanqiti, I'm referring to Sheikh Muhammad al-Mukhtar Ashanqiti, hafizahullah uh, ta'ala, the faqih of Medina, the jurist of Medina. Um, so if I say Sheikh Ashanqiti, that's who I'm referring to. If I say Sheikh, that's who I'm referring to. If I say uh, Sheikh al-Islam, that's me, of course. That's it. <laughs> no? Sheikh Allah, uh, Allah, sorry. When I say Allama, I'm referring to myself. Sheikh Islam is referring to Ibn Taymiyyah, and um, and Imam uh, Ahmed is Imam Ahmed. Okay. So, what does a Sheikh give as a definition for najas? It's very interesting. He says, uh, He gives a very out of the box definition for najasa. Yani, roughly translated as every single object which is, or every single thing, Ain means like a, an object or a thing, every single thing which is impermissible to, to either eat, which is the dictionary definition of tanawil, or handle, which is the more uh, uh, better translation. So every single thing which is impermissible to handle. Not because of its sanctity, not because of its sanctity, not because it is disgusting, or not because it is harmful to the body or to the mind. Right? So every single thing that is, that is impermissible to handle or to ingest, okay? And if I add the word ingest, it makes it a bit clearer. Every single thing which is impermissible to ingest... Not because of its sanctity, not because it's disgusting, and not because it causes a uh, harm to the body or to the mind. Now, when I give the examples, it will start to make sense. Okay? He said, so, when we say, so if you look at the, the top of page 27, he says, so, when we say then that which is impermissible to handle and ingest, then that therefore means every single permissible thing, Every single permissible thing is pure. Yes? Does that make sense? So, if, for, for example, if I say that you are not allowed to eat this, okay? Or rather, if I say you're allowed to handle this, you're allowed to pick up this, you're allowed to uh, hold this, then that must mean it's pure by necessity. Is that clear? That, that's the way to understand it the other way. If you're allowed to pick something up and handle it and pass it and give it to someone, uh, whatever, the ingesting here is not relevant, but... Yani, just handling it. If you're allowed to do that to anything, that thing cannot be najis. Is that clear? Right? So that's the first benefit. It is tahir. 
And then he goes, وَقَوْلُنَا لَا لِضَرَرِهَا And that, when we say that not because of its harm, therefore, things such as poison and anything like that, okay, uh, uh, poison, poison is haram because of what? Because it's harmful, okay? It's harmful to the body. Does that make sense? So, uh, so, so uh, alcohol, therefore, uh, so poison, therefore, cannot be? Alcohol cannot, I'm, I'm just messing everything up. Poison, therefore, cannot be? Najis. Poison is not najis. Poison is haram because? Because of, its, because of its harm. It's harm to the body. You see, uh, 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 what Sheikh Uthaymin is being very clever in describing what filth actually is. So far we've established that permissible things can't be filthy. Second, we've established that poison can't be filthy. Then he says, and uh, Meaning, and that, not that because it's disgusting, those things which are haram because they are disgusting. Is there anything which is haram because it's disgusting? Handling it intentionally. According to the scholars, the mukhat, um, uh, which is uh, yani, like greeny, greeny, yani, you know, that disgusting stuff, yani, you know, dirty brown. <laughs> yani, all the uncles do in front line yani, all the time, in the middle of salah. You think, oh. <laughs> right? So that stuff there, that according to a number of scholars, that is impermissible, okay, to handle. Not because it is impure. It is because it is disgusting. Al-istiqdar. Yani, it is, it is, yani, disgusting. There are a few things like that. Like uh, mucus, like, um, like, uh, like, a, like, phlegm is the same, same thing, like a Liverpool shirt. <laughs> yeah? Like a Liverpool shirt or like a Man City shirt, yeah? You look at these shirts, you can wash them and they smell beautiful. Sah? But they are haram. <laughs> it took me like five minutes to think of that example, Bobs. Yeah? I thought hopefully Ahmed is here and I can not say in front of him. Huh? So they are not haram najis, yes? They're not haram najis, they're haram because they are? Disgusting. Alright? Okay? So, yani, do you understand? You could actually put it on and you could physically wear it. I mean, you'd be a complete freak to do that, yeah? But it wouldn't be impure. You could pray in it. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you could. Alright? But it is haram for another reason. It's haram not because it's impure, it's haram because it is disgusting. Is that a good example? It was, wasn't it? If you're a United fan, that's like, you, you're, like a light bulb moment that was. So, Right, okay then. And then he, he goes, This is very interesting. So, yeah, uh, back to the original definition of Shaykh Uthameen. Uh, let's remind ourselves of the definition. He said, Every single thing which is impermissible to handle, not because, it is, not because of its sanctity, not because of its... Of its uh, uh, um, not, not because it's disgusting, not because it is harmful to the body or to the mind. So, not because of its sanctity. What do we mean by that? So for example, Shaykh, he gives the example, he, gaze, he goes, for example, الصيد في حال الإحرام Or, he said, the الصيد داخل الحرام So, what we're we talking about? When you're in Ihram, you're not allowed to eat, to eat uh, game. Game meaning yani, you, you find the lamb there and you kill it in Ihram, right? Or, inside the Haram, you hunt an animal and then you eat it. Okay, and then you, you handle it and eat it. That's impermissible because you're in a state of ihram. Does that make sense? Yes, 
that thing is impermissible to eat, not because it is najis. It is impermissible because it is sanctified. It is sanctified by the sanctity, the haram. Does that make sense? I know we're going around the houses, okay? And I just thought I'd give you this to show you an example of usul in action. This is classic usul al-fiqh. And this definition is classic usuli definition, which is why, which is why, if we go back to page 25, okay, after he gives that definition, he kind of realizes that's going to get lost on everyone. And so he gives another definition. He goes, وَإِن شِئْتْ فَقُلْ And if you really want, then just say, إِسْ كُلَّ عَيْنٍ يَجِبَ تَتَحْرُ مِنْهَا He goes that it's anything which you need to purify yourself from. <laughs> I love that statement. He's like, this is the real definition for the big boys. But you know what? If you can't handle it, then it's anything which you need to purify yourself from. <laughs> Every single item which you must purify yourself from. If I say that as a definition, it's a lot easier, isn't it? Yeah? If I just say, Impurity is every single thing that it is obligatory to purify yourself from. So, I have my hand. We use my hand as an example. Someone puts urine on it. I have to purify my hand. I can't pray. Alright? Therefore, urine nudges. Feces, the same. Menstrual blood, the same. Postpartum bleeding, the same. Anything else? Anyone think of anything else? No? Anything else? Vomit. Nope. Vomit is a classic example of an istikhzar. Anything else? No? So, yep. Pus. Pus falls into the other category. Haram to handle, not because it's najis. Yeah? You see, according to the Hanabila, according to the Hanbali school, if you have a spot and it bursts, alright, and pus now is on the skin, if this pus was impure, can you continue praying? You can't because it's najis. If it happens a lot, I mean. Obviously, there's a, an exception in the madhab for very tiny amounts that are not discernible. We're not talking about that ruling at the moment. We're talking about the issue of impurity. So, therefore, I want you to understand that what Sheikh Uthameen gives as his second definition is a nice user-friendly one. But the first one is a quality one. It's a technical one that has a lot of fiqh and ilm behind it. There's another way of understanding um, najis. Um, some scholars said that najis is that which cannot be purified. That's also very good. Okay? Meaning that that, can, that which cannot be purified. Meaning that whatever you do to urine, it will always be urine. Whatever you do to feces, it will always be feces. Now this, as an opinion, is, isn't as complete and waterproof, watertight as the others. But it just gives you some uh, extra kind of... Uh, 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 gives you some extra kind of context. Now... What does uh, the Sheikh then he, he says uh, he says uh, here? So, okay, so that's good. Yeah. Any questions on that so far? Because I don't think there's much more I want to say about physical impurity. Yes. About that. Yes. Defining it because if we say that fish is an impure, the water process until two men go out and uh, use the urine of the camel and its feces. Uh, as a form of cure. Yeah. So the urine of camels, we're going to come to. Okay. Yeah. That's an exception to the rule. So that leave that aside. Number one. The original question, though, which is that who defines what is imp- uh, uh, who it's defines subjective terms such as disgusting, such as huge, such as small. Okay. This is a chapter in of itself. Okay. 
This is a chapter in of itself, uh, um, and we will come to that. And it's a very, very important question. Because when we say that something is small and it is pardoned, or something is insignificant, meaning, I've said so far, what breaks will law? Huge mass bleeding. Well, who defines what huge mass bleeding is? Um, um, pus, as I said, even the, those who said it is najis, if they did. Uh, how much is a little bit? How much is enough to, for pus to be okay on the skin? And how much is now najis, and therefore the person has to go and wash it off? Now that defining, the defining of insignificant, significant, disgusting, I will tell you just for the sake of for it now, is a urfi definition. It's defined by the people. Defined by the people. It's not defined, <coughs> so a bleeding is not left to some miskeen housewife who's never seen anything ever before. Yeah? So as soon as one drop of blood, she's gone down like that, yeah? Yeah, she just faints. And it's not left to Yanni to... I'm an over there, like, you know, doctor or surgeon or whatever, who, you know, a guy could come with his arm hanging off and he'll say, that's all right, mate, no problem. <laughs> yeah? Because it's standard any kind of behavior. He can see that every day. He's not fussed. We see a guy's hand, uh, Yanni, whatever, we'll say, son, stop praying and go and have a bath, Yanni, yeah? <laughs> and then fix your arm as well. So, 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 so what I mean is that the definition of these terms are left to the general masses. And the general masses know. The general masses will be able to look at a person and when they're bleeding a lot, they'll like, they'll go, rah, that, that's a lot of blood. Yeah, you need stitches, you need whatever. And the general masses will see a little bit of blood and they'll say, that'll be all right. No need for a plaster, just wipe it away. So this is the general masses and that's what the scholars generally rely upon. Okay, let's move on then, folks. So now that we've understood, yeah. yeah. Before you say, Good, good question, and we are going to come to that in its own chapter. The brother is asking um, that it, you said urine in your hand, and now I need to purify my hand. What does that actually mean, purify your hand? You need to go make wudu. And the answer is no. The answer is that this is a ch- separate chapter in itself, and we will discuss that. But when we have impurity, you do not need to make wudu. Okay, so for example, people talking about handling nappies and some feces, uh, 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 you know, which is the most common, right? Either cleaning a toilet or uh, or uh, uh, cleaning a nappy or taking nappies to the bin or whatever, and it spills and you got feces. You have to wash your hands. You don't not, You do not need to make wudu. Okay, uh, uh, filth does not invalidate your wudu. Filth prevents you from praying. Filth event prevents you from being pure. So you don't need to make wudu because you're not in a state of hadith. Does that make sense? This is very interesting. Think about the process of urinating. The process of urinating causes a state of hadith. You need to make wudu. The presence of urine in the private parts does not cause a state of hadith. It just requires removing and cleansing. You are not in a state of hadith. Do you see the difference? Yeah? So there's a difference between the actual act and the actual presence. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah? Okay. All right. But like I said, we'll, we'll clarify that in its own section. So then, uh, now we know what purification is then, yeah? Purification, as uh, defined by the Mu'allif, he said, it is irtifa'u al-hadath wa fi ma'na wa zawal al-khabath. We've done that. Purification is lifting the state of ritual impurity or... Um, matters similar to it, such as a secondary wudu, such as making a ghusl after bathing a dead person, whatever, etc., and the removal of filth. 
Let's change that removing to and the removal of filth. So then he then uh, uh, starts the next st- uh, statement. He goes, uh, And there are three types of water. There are three types of water. And here he will mention the first one. He will mention the first one. And he says, Tahurun la yarfa'u al-hadatha wa la yuzil al-najasa al-tari' ghayruhu wa huwa al-baqi ala khilqatihi. Number one, the first type of water is purifying water. Purifying water is the only type that lifts ritual impurity or removes foreign filth. It is water that is still in its original created state. So that's the first type of water. Now, I want to... uh, Where are we? Okay, so... Sheikh, he says, Al-Miyah. Al-Miyah is the plural of ma. Okay? Miyah is waters, if you like. But you don't have water, so it's called water, as we know, the plural. So there's three types of water, and the first one is tahur. The word tahur is very interesting. In Arabic, tahur fits on the wazan of fa'ul. Fa'ul, fa'ul, with a zabr, yeah, a fatha on the, 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 the fa, okay, fa'ul. It is that noun which describes uh, the tool that is uh, used to bring about the action. Okay? It is the tool which brings about the action. So, we have tahur. Okay? Tahur as opposed to tuhur. So, tuhur with a dhamma, you know, pesh, yeah? Tuhur would be the action of purification. Tahur would be that which is used to achieve the purification. Is that clear? An example would be uh, suhur. Suhur is what? Using now the same wazan, the same Arabic pattern, the same weight, the same form as fa'ul. Suhur would be what then? Fermented dates. How random was that? Yeah, Abanwah. What is suhur? Say it again. In Ramadan, what though? So think about what I'm asking. I've said tahur is that which what you use to purify. Tuhur with a dhamma is the action itself. So I repeat the question: What is suhur? Eating. The early pre-dawn meal before you fast. Huh? Fatur. Good. Yeah, the fatur. Yeah? The food itself. What is sahur? What you're actually eating at the time of suhur. What's wudu? The action. What is wudu? The water that you use for the wudu itself. Is that clear? So you see this, this fa'ul pattern. Fa'ul. 
Fa'ul represents that which is used to get the fu'ul, the action done. So tahur is the purificatory act that achieves tuhur, yani purifying or purification itself. And suhur is the food that you eat at the time of suhur. And wadu is the water that you use for wudu. Yeah? Wuzu. Yeah? Alright? Alright. So we're good with that. Good, good, good. So, the Sheikh then says, he says that, um, now the reason that it's important that we talk about that is because um, in, uh, even in English, right, uh, there's a difference between the word pure and purifying. Pure is the most common pack name in the world. No, no, as in a, a common pack name for a guy. Huh? Tahir, yeah? Come on, man, there's a million Tahirs out there, man, come on. No one else calls their people Tahir. Somali have Tahir? You have Somali Tahir? I never saw Somali Tahir in my life. Come on, man. Right, come on. Arab, you have Tahir? Yeah. Tahir? Yeah. Tahir? 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 Millions. I don't know how many Tahirs I have in my phone book. Tahir, 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 Tahir. I'm sure they're all clean, but they're tahir, yeah? <laughs> so tahir in Arabic, it means pure, right? But pure is not necessarily purifying. And that's the key thing you need to understand. You see, according to the... Um, according to... And this is what uh, Sheikh, uh, he says. Because if you just want to know the whole chapter in advance, the three types of water, the first one is... Tahur, the second type is Tahir, and the third is Najis. So, purifying, purifying, pure, impure. These are the three types of water that can possibly exist. Is that clear, yeah? The first is purifying, the second one is pure, and the third one is Najis. By necessity, and I don't want to jump the gun because that's next week's lesson, then therefore determining that pure itself is something which is pure, clean, Pure nice, pure everything, but it itself cannot be used to make you pure. It is not purifying. What we're studying, which is the first type, is pure and purifying. Alright? And then the third type is Najis. This is the opinion of the mass majority of scholars. There are a small group of Hanafis, alright, who said no. They said there's only two types of water. Tahir and Najis. And obviously when they say that, what they're saying is that the Tahir purifies as well. Does that make sense? Yeah? That's how they get around the, 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 the issue. They say we don't need to make a separate category. Why do the other scholars create that second category? They said that when you look at Quran or Sunnah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions ma, okay, he will add sometimes a secondary characteristic to it. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah, uh, Surah Al-Anfal, verse number 11, he said, now, وَيُنَزِّلُ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً لِيُطَّهِرُكُمْ Okay, right? So he sends down upon you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down upon you from the skies water and what for what? لِيُطَّهِرَكُمْ So that he can purify you via it. So the water is not enough. It is a, there is a purificatory aspect as well. And then also in Surah Al-Furqan, verse 48, Not tuhuran or tahiran, tahura. 
So we sent upon you, we, we, we bring down upon you water, which is purifying. Purifying, not pure, purifying. The word tahura is used in the wazan of fa'ul. Yeah, in the wazan of fa'ul. And so that's why the majority of the scholars, they considered it to be... Um, they considered it to be... What they said is that, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, 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 add an extra description? Why did he give a secondary uh, point, making it clear that the water in itself is not good enough? Rather, he sent upon you ma tahuran. Ma, ma, which is fine, but this is actually ma, which is purifying as well. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Okay, so... Um, so then he... And then, and then Sheikh, then he goes... Let's see, he gives some examples then. He gives, he gives some examples. So, the tahur water is that water which is upon its original created state. Ala khilqatihi haqiqatun. Okay? With respect to that it has not been changed in any of its characteristics. That's what it means in its original created state. So, its color hasn't been changed. Alright? Its smell hasn't been changed. And its taste hasn't been changed. These are the three main characteristics of a liquid. All right, uh, its smell, its color, and its taste. So when we say Allah asli in its original created state, that's what we're talking about. That kind of water. And there's another type of de- uh, 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 a definition of what pure water is, purifying water. It is that water which is mixed with something, but has not lost its purification qualities. For example, now Sheikh is going to give some examples here of what that means. Let's take the second one first. The second one first. You know when the water is in a stream, what do you think it is? Water, okay. What do you think? Pure or purifying? <coughs> purifying. Is it being mixed with anything? It's not being mixed with anything. You sure? Are you sure? Is there anything which it is coming in contact with that is part of it in a stream? What? The bed. What's on the bed? Soil, Soil, rocks, twigs, leaves, whatever, all kinds of stuff, yes? It's mixing with it. The question here now is that this is water which has had some change that has occurred to it. Does that change, does that mixing of that water in its pure state, because it's pure running water coming from fresh mountains, blah, 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 has that lost its purification quality because of the mixing with something else? No. Answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is because those particular items are not considered to be that either nejis or in that large quantity. It doesn't have to just be nejis. It could be something in super large quantity that is going to change the entire nature of water. For example, if we have a stream and I dump like 30 tons of flour into it. We're going to have some next, yani, atafin going down, yeah? Yeah? What do they call that? Dough, I'm thinking. No, that's not atafin. What do they call it? You know when, when they mix it and they put it in, that, in, the, in the spare ice cream box in the fridge? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what else are we going to use ice cream boxes for, Bob's? <laughs> What's that stuff called? Need dough, yeah? That need dough. What's that called in Urdu? Huh? Gorinan. Gunia. Gunia, yeah? Alright. So, 
we got gunia. What a ajeeb word. But you know, we got gunia. So that gunia, that can have some various different viscosity, isn't it? Yeah? So I'm saying flour is pure, it's clean. And water is clean. If it gets mixed up and you are trying to wash yourself, it's too viscous, isn't it? That's such a random example. <laughs> I just, just came to me. I don't know why I gave that example. But the point I'm trying to make is that not everything that water mixes with is going to make it impure. It can make it not suitable for purification because of one reason or lack I just gave you there. But it does not l- make the water lose its purificatory status. Is that clear? Anyway, let's just actually look what Sheikh Uthameen says. He goes, so for example, for methylene, this is in the middle of page 28. He goes, Meaning that the water that we pull up from a well, which is warm because of the sun kind of, uh, you know, beating down on it, whatever. This is still water in its, in its original created state. It is pure and it is purifying. It is absolutely fine. The water which just comes down, you collect it in a rain bucket, that's purifying. Absolutely pure and it's purifying. Because it is baqin ala khilqatihi. So these two examples, the water in the well and the water which you collect in the rain bucket which comes down. And that obviously that water which comes down is the water which you find in lakes and streams. And even, a, 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 I don't know, you might have a bucket outside, whatever. All of this water is in its original uncreated state. Agree? Not mixed with anything. Absolutely purifying. Tahur. Let's look at some other examples. He says that all the water is still pure. Hukman. Hukman. Now, remember what we talked about at the beginning. When we say water is pure hukman, we mean that it is, uh, technically it is pure. It is not pure how we would assume it to be pure. But it is technically pure. What does he mean by that? He gives some examples. He says, such as water which is mixed with something which does not dissolve with it, does not blend with it. Okay? Yeah? So water, for example, in... Um, uh, so you've got this big bucket of water. Uh, no. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in the next week's section. You've got some water and... It's, it's autumn and the tree then throws its leaves and its twigs and everything into it. Okay? You could still put your hand into that bucket and you could still do wudu from it because the twigs and the leaves and so on, they mix with the water but they do not blend it with it. They do not like dissolve into it. They do not change the nature of the water. They can be separated from the water easily. You don't have to separate it but they can be. And because it can be separated, that means it has not entered the water in its structure, in its molecular structure level or in its at a chemical level and therefore that water is still fine. Now, can we say this water is in its original created state? Technically, we can't. Which is why we say this kind of water, which is mixed with something, is technically pure. It's technically pure. Does that make sense? Another example he gives. He goes that, uh, He goes, Or that water, which it is too difficult to get something out of it. For example, muddy water. Now, muddy water... What do you think about that? What do you think about muddy water? What do, what do you think about you've got your, your stream and you know if it rains a lot, okay, even if it's clear and you were to uh, do wudu from it, okay, those who've gone camping and you make wudu, you normally kind of do it at the top, yes? You wipe the top and then you wipe the top again, wipe the top, make some space and you stick to the top and it's clearer. You go lower down, you're finding more 
uh, debris, soil, X, Y, Z, the more deeper down you go, and so on. You can do what you want. You can try and shake this and do that, whatever. It's not going to, uh, uh, you're not going to get rid of all that soil and so on. Yes? This is what their ulama said, it's too, that, that water which is too difficult to remove other things from it, such as soil, such as uh, when it rains heavily. When it rains heavily in your stream, which you use every day to drink from and wash from and make wudu from, does the rain now make this stream, because it's now turned all cloudy and muddy, that happens, right? Streams, you've seen that, yes? Everyone has seen that. Yeah, when it rains, it becomes... Does that now make this water nejus? Or does it make it to just pure, not purifying? Answer, no. According to the Hanbali school, in fact, according to the majority of scholars, this water is still pure and purifying, even though you look at it and you think, you know, it's muddy, it's cloudy. Actually, this mud is pure anyway. And this mud cannot be removed from this water. This is the norm for water around the world. We're just very lucky people that we only have these things called filtration plants and a tap. And we've never like ever seen muddy water, uh, you know, uh, in our protected Western <coughs> lives. But the reality for the rest of the world is that water is never sparkling and clean like we have in our glass. The reality of water is that it is always colored. It is always muddy of some sort. It always has mud. And like for 90% of the world. So, does that make sense? Yeah? Is that, is that, is that clear? So, that's a, so that water, clearly, clearly, this is not water in its original state. Because if it was water in its original pure, uncreated state, it would be sparkling, clear, whatever. It's not. But is it pure and purifying? Yes, it is. So therefore we say, it is technically purifying. Hukman. Another example is water which we would heat up in a saucepan. If we put water in a saucepan, so again, we just turn the hot water tap and it comes out. Back home, we have to heat water up and then add it to the, you know, the, the tanki and, and, you know, and uh, have a bath with some kind of big mission, right? So when you, when you heat this water up, this is now you heating this water up, isn't it? Yeah, it's not natural sunlight. You are actually bubbling that water and it's heating and it's changing and all the rest of it. This is not water in its original created state. Is this hot water now nejus? No. Is it pure? No, it is pure and purifying. Does that make, does that, does that make sense, everybody? Yeah? So this is why we say that um, uh, 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 pure water is that which is in its original Tahur, uh, rather, is water which is in its an original uh, uh, state. Okay. Then, um, then the Sheikh says, "You know, you know, have a look, have a look around and look at that." I've been reading that clock. <laughs> well, honestly, Sheikh Hafsal, I've been look, I'm reading that clock as five to nine. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and I've been reading that as five to nine for the last twenty minutes, and I'm thinking, good lord, I must be the most boring person on earth. That I'm speaking, speaking a damn time still five to nine. Well, I had some doubts. Gasme, I had doubts. I've had to look around here and I said, what's this? What's happening? Yeah, where's the, where's the, what kind of committee is this, man? Oh my god, what kind of imam is it? The, the imam is the only one who turns around at the end of the prayer, sah? He's the one who's watching that clock. Soon to turn around, brother, and look at the jama'ah after you finish the prayer. Uh, uh, okay, so it's Somali time, sah? Yeah. Somali time. How many minutes are we on? Quarter past. Is that enough? Yeah. 
We have now done how many minutes? 45 minutes? 50 minutes with, with, with uh, Thinky? I'm, I'm cool. Whatever we now... Um, Okay, so if you've... Uh, okay, let's take some questions then. That's no problem. Let's take some... Um, let's take some questions. No problem. Yeah. Okay. Big back from that. We're going to come to that. Yeah, next week's lesson. Um, when you said it's too difficult to get something out of itself, so the thing that's too difficult, does that have to be pure? Um, so the pure aspect we're going to discuss next week, with respect to the too difficult thing, this does not mean, I know this is not what you mean, but just so that it's clarified to everyone, this does not mean like I have. Uh, so the brother's asking about um, um, Actually what was the question you asked? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I know what you said But now just to The thing which is too difficult to get something out of Such as soil yeah. have to be pure, does that have to be yeah so the question is about When, when you're talking about water which um, That which is something too difficult to take out of But you're saying it's still pure Does that thing which is too difficult to take out Does that itself have to be pure My answer is that we're going to discuss that next week all right, And the week after it's a lot of detail um, but also I wanted to say, just so that it's clear, this does not mean like, so here I am, uh, here's some water in front of me and I'm about to have a bath with it, okay? And I'm carrying like, because, you know, I'm a dodgy character, I've got like about three kilos of cocaine with me, yeah? <laughs> right? And I trip up and it all goes into the water, right? And I think to myself, rah, how am I going to get that out? Yeah? So... And I think, nah, man, I can't get that out. That's gone. And now I say to myself, look at this. What a lame example, but just bear with me. So I look at this and I think, how am I going to have a bath? Yeah? Huh? And there's no way I can get that cocaine out. Yani, for yani, to take this out is too difficult. The chef said that yani, water which is too difficult to take something out is purifying anyway. So I then continue to have a bath with the water because it's too much of a mission to get the cocaine out. So that's not what I mean, yani, yeah? I don't mean that you put something into the water and you think, right, this is too difficult to get out, so now I can't use the water anymore. No, no. I mean that water which is naturally found, naturally found, and it is naturally having things with it and in it that is too difficult to get rid of. So we're talking about large puddles, we're talking about watering holes, we're talking about streams, lakes, rivers, we're talking about uh, watering buckets, we're talking about um, wells. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about something which you are involved in a process and you drop something and you think, you know what, this is way too difficult to get out. When we mention that word, meaning that that which is naturally found with the water and it changes the water slightly but the but human reality still accepts that as normal purifying water so has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he has done that out of ease to the people because again we live in a completely detached world we have no idea what the world is like out there I mean no idea I remember like it was yet I have the poorest memory in human history seriously but there are certain things in your life that you never ever forget and now you can ask me a million things and I'd forget all million of them. But there's one thing that I remember. And that was when I was about 11 years old. And I went to my own um, 
I went to my own home village in Swat, and we have the River Swat, of course, uh, the the River Swat as well, Swat River, and it's a very famous and very gushing, beautiful river. And whenever you see all those pictures, that is the the Swat River, and it's coming down from the Himalayas. And do do do, yeah, the Wadi, the, the, the Swat Valley is obviously what is encompassing Swat, and the river is flowing all the way through it. And it's very famous and everything. So my cousin, he lives right on the side, and every night we would go and we would uh, bathe and everything in there and, you know, mess about and stuff. And it was very, very hot. And I remember looking and jumping in, and it's very cloudy. It rained a little bit, the water was cloudy and so on. And I was even like, as an 11 year old, I was even like, uh, uh, what's the word? Loathe to jump in. Forget about do anything else. But anyway, he goes, no, it's okay, it's all right. And then he's there and he's, he goes, I'm thirsty, man. I go, it's going to be ages if we would go back to the guy. He goes, what do you mean go back to the guy? And he starts drinking it, drinking it, drinking it. Now you understand that I'm looking at this and I'm looking at 100 meters down and there's like about five, six buffalo or whatever. They are crapping in there. They are peeing in there. They're whatever. And I'm looking down. I look on the other side. I see next man. He's there rubbing himself, cleaning, washing himself. Soap bar standing in the middle, whatever. I'm looking over there. I see Yanni, the gal, them Yanni doing that. You know, that whole washing laundry, you know, in that big thing. You know, that big like a uh, handy kind of thing, you know. Yeah, and I'm looking at my man, and then I'm looking at his hands, and he drinks, drinking. I'm thinking, whoa, this is dirty. This is dirty in every level. It looks dirty. There's man, next man's germs, next man's feces, next uh, dogs, yani this, next that, and this everything. And you could not have make any defense for this water. And he looks at me. He goes, he goes. How do you think the world lives? He goes. As an 11 year old, I remember this saying to me, and he goes to me. Close your eyes and drink. <laughs> Wallah Adam he goes, close your eyes and drink. And that's exactly what I did. I put up that thingy, a brown mess nonsense with glass in there. Right? I looked at that and I said, yeah. I'm like dying inside the yeah, Just going through fits the yeah, what's happening. But I did it. And I look back on that like 30 odd years later and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Yeah? That is the reality of this world. Yeah, that is clean, pure water. That is clean, pure water. We're going to see in Sharia that flowing water, okay, nothing, nothing makes it impure. We're going to come to the hadith of that. I didn't know that hadith at that time. Yeah, that flowing water takes all feces and everything away with it, and all people there now are doing all kinds of stuff in the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, that's just the reality for people. So I want to say that there needs to be a large dose of. Uh, I don't know, realism that needs to be taken with this chapter. So, so just to answer this question, because the, the thing that you can't take out of it is that it has to be pure. Next week we're going to deal with that in detail. In principle, it is pure. It's in principle. The reason I can't answer it without opening up a whole new uh, scenario is because it can even be impure if the water is a large amount. Do you understand? Like I just gave you the example. But if it's a very small amount of water, then the rulings then change. Okay, so it does depend upon the water, nature of the water, movement of the water, location of the water, and this is going to take weeks and weeks. Yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry if that's a really random question, but sometimes when I'm having a shower, I can smell chlorine in the water. Would that make it impure? So that's going to be dealt with next week, inshallah. Every uh, thing which is added to water, we're going to deal with it next week. Any other questions? Yeah. 
It would. So, so uh, what the brother is asking, he's saying that with respect to what Sheikh Uthameen gave as a definition, he said for najasa, he said everything, every everything, and najasa is every single item or thing which is impermissible to handle, not because it is disgusting, not because it is harmful, not because of its sanctity. Yes, that's what we defined it. Yes, the brother is saying, hold on, isn't urine or certainly feces? Isn't that under disgusting? Yeah? That's the question. What's the answer? What's the answer? Anyone know the answer? It's a very it's a very straightforward question and it's an even more straightforward answer. Huh? Meaning I mean, you're right. Uh, let's just go with your answer. That's fine. Meaning that that uh, feces is actually haram, not because it's disgusting. Oh, by the way, it's disgusting as well. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Do you understand the answer? Yeah. There are certain items which are haram because of its overpowering characteristic. Feces is not impure because it is disgusting as well. Because it is disgusting. But the fact that it's disgusting makes it a hell of a lot easier for us to understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah? So, and we have to have this in place because that will then allow us then to allow, it will allow us to understand that mucus and this and that, even though it is disgusting, is not impure, is not nejus. Alright? So, it's a good question. But the answer is also very, very clear. Yes, Feces is, is disgusting. It is in the same category, even worse than mucus and whatever. But that is not the reason why it is impure. It is impure because of text. It's impure because it in itself is impure. It is impure because it is one of those items which the Prophet, which, which Sheikh Uthameen said, it is obligatory to purify yourself from. It is impure because in of itself it, does not, it cannot be purified. It cannot be purified. Cool? Yeah. When you say it's impermissible to handle because it's disgusting and it's mucus, what exactly do you mean by that? So, meaning, so, um, here, here there's a, uh, so the question is that with respect to mucus, what do you mean by handle? So here, the word tanawul would now refer back to a more friendly translation as ingest. So, if you had a glass of mucus... I've got no big brother, Yanni. Big brother? No, what's the other one called? Huh? Small brother. <laughs> what's it called? Jungle uh, celebrity? Amazon, Amazon celebrity? What? I'm a, celeb- I'm a, ce- I'm a Amazon celebrity. I, I'm a celebrity, whatever. All that nonsense they do, yeah? So yeah, you're not allowed to drink that, basically. You're not allowed to drink it. It's not going to kill you, is it? Yeah? Is the reason you're not allowed to ki- drink it is not because it's not just either. It's because it's disgusting. Yeah. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna. I mean, the the um. Some people might say, why is it? Why is it that water is the principle? Water is very clearly the principle from the Quran. We said that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has sent down upon you ma'an tahura, and He has sent down ma'an liyadhirakum bi. So water is clearly the primary source of purification from the ahadith. What's the dua? Just the dua that you make, yani, for the one who has passed away. Exactly. Allahumma ghsilhu, oh Allah, yani wash him clean with ma'i wa thalji wal barad. Yani wash him with water, and water is the primary then, and then thalj, which is the uh, snow or ice, okay, and barad, which is hail. And also, uh, that's the, also the dua that you do when? Exactly. Allahumma ghsil min khatayaya. Oh, uh, yani, uh, 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 wash me and cleanse me of my own sins with water, with snow and ice, and with hail. So water is the principal cleansing uh, 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 item. And for next week, for next week, I think we'll close it there. For next week, um, there's going to be a nice surprise, inshallah, for um, in in demonstration of the rulings. Of Alma Wathalj Wal Barad. I'm going to Yani on the forums, maybe even on the email list, maybe. But maybe I do it on the forums because they're the more active people. And the email ones are the lazy ones. We'll see. So inshallah, um so I just want to say a couple of things. Um so those who Zakmullah khair um next uh this week, those who are anywhere near Calgary or Edmonton or whatever, I'll be teaching um Protect This House um this Friday. This Friday, inshallah, and I hope to see many of you there online. Um, or then the weekend after in Toronto. Um, so I'd be very happy to see all those who are in uh, the Ontario region. And then after that in Glasgow, uh, um, uh, um, I think two weeks after. So make sure you attend. And also then in London town, I'm back in my home hood. So London, inshallah, I think the second week in February. So I hope to see all the folks there, inshallah. Um, with respect to the class here locally, of course the class is going ahead. The class next week will be will be honoured. Not they'll be honoured, will be honoured to be teaching this class from Al Huda Institute, uh, Al Huda Institute in Toronto. So that's a shout out to all the Torontonians. And so that will be done three fifteen their local time. Everything is per normal as normal. Uh, the class will go ahead, and it will be here. And I do expect the screen will be on, and we will be interacting. And the lesson will go ahead. We are next level technology people. You'd be well impressed with what we got set up. Um, but those who are come from far, you know, like Rochdale or Bradford or whatever, then I think it's good that you stay home for next week. But those who are local, then please come and please maintain yeah, I need the adab of the, the study circle here because I will certainly be attending uh, in a virtual sense, huh? at least. But Jazakumullah khair, back to normal then the week after as well. Okay, Jazakumullah khair. Sisters, leave first. Please, brothers, if we just hang on a minute. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.